You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Well, I came tonight to give you some word. Y'all ready for the word of God? Okay. I hope you're ready for the word of God, because that's like kind of what we're serving up tonight, okay? That's all, that's all I came prepared with. So if you don't want the word of God, sorry, but that's what you're going to get tonight. But it's okay, because that's actually what your spirit wants. So just like lean in with me, because it's going to fill you up, I promise, amen. So if you've got a Bible with you, grab it, which, does anybody bring a physical Bible to church anymore? Boom. If you've got your journal, your notes... Whatever you want to do to take notes and follow along with me tonight, I want to encourage you to do it. But we're going to be starting off uh, in the book of Acts. And if you've been reading in your Being Transformed journal, together as a church, we're actually right now currently going through the book of Acts, which is my favorite book in the whole Bible. So I've been having a really good week so far. Um, And so I was just like, you know what, let's just preach on it tonight. So Acts 2 is where we're going to start, but we're going to be, I'm just warning you right now. We're getting chunky tonight. We're reading some word. We have, I've been taking a little break on the chunk, but I'm bringing it back. We're going chunky. So just you've been warned. Lots of scripture coming. But we're continuing a series that we kicked off last week on prayer called Mind the Gap. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, Mind the Gap. Okay, now I want you to look to your other neighbor and say it in a British accent. Say, Mind the Gap. Mind the gap. Okay, so if you weren't here last week, you're probably like, what's up with the British accent? Well, you need to go back and you need to listen to the message last week. If you missed out, definitely go back and listen to that because we post every message on our podcast. You can search it, New Song Students OKC, listen to it wherever you like to listen to podcasts. But for those of you who missed out on that message last week or you be forgetting stuff sometimes. Come on, we all be forgetting stuff sometimes. We're gonna do a quick recap. So last week, if you weren't here, I shared a story. I opened up the message talking about how three and a half years ago, my wife Haley and I took uh, the trip of a lifetime to London. It was so much fun. We had a blast. And when we were in London doing all of the stereotypical English things that you do, which is like tea time, and what else did we do? Fish and chips in the pub. We did the Shakespeare Theater. What else did we do? We did London Fogs. Who likes London Fog? Oh, drinking London Fogs in London. It's a whole nother ball game, okay? So we're doing all of the stereotypical English things. And to get around the city in London, you have to take their subway system called the London Underground. Does anybody remember what the slang term for it is? The tube, that's right, it's called the tube. And uh, when you're riding on the tube, if you ever go to London, you are going to constantly hear this phrase being repeated over the intercom 5,000 times in an hour, and it's this phrase, mind the gap, right? Mind the gap, okay? And the reason, the reason behind this phrase is because when you get to a stop, when you get to a train stop, those doors are gonna open, And there is going to be a what? There's going to be a gap. There's going to be a gap between the platform that you're standing on 
and the train that you're wanting to get on, right, which is going to take you to the place you want to go. So there's a gap. And so this intercom is just constantly telling you to what? Mind the gap. Because if you don't mind the gap, if you don't look at it, if you don't consider that there's a gap right there, what's going to happen? You're gonna, you could trip. You could bust your lip. You, or worse, you could stick your foot right in the gap and who knows what, get run over by a train. I, the point is, you're not getting where you want to go, right? If you don't mind the gap, you can get jacked up. In the same way, <laughs> that's a funny way to say that. In the same way, Peter tells us in 1 Peter as believers that there's a gap. And we're supposed to mind it. And the way we mind it is going to determine how we respond to the gap that we see. And our power verse for this series is 1 Peter 4, 7. And it says this. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, have a sober mind, so that you may pray. So that you may pray. pray. So what is Peter telling us to do? He's telling us to be alert, pay attention, look at the culture around you, look at what's happening in your life, have a sober mind, mind the gap, and then what? Respond accordingly, which according to Peter our best response is to pray. So we're talking about prayer. And last week, if you didn't go, and if you missed that message, listen to it, because I preached a really simple but important message on what prayer is. We just talked about what is prayer. We talked about how it's something that we are called to do as believers, how prayer is us giving our heart to God. It's relationship. Prayer is spiritual warfare. We went into all of that good stuff. And tonight we're going to take another step into prayer. We're going to be talking about uh, something that, the ch it's a churchy word, but it's a word that I'm very excited to preach on. And we're going to talk about this thing called revival. Whoa. Somebody say revival. 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 We're going to talk about how you and I, we play a major role in us seeing this word take place in our life, this word revival. It's a word, it's a churchy word. Sometimes it's a word thrown around in church, but I wanna talk about how this is something that we can see in our time if we'll pray, okay? So let's pray. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you that your presence is here. I thank you that we can pray to the eternal God of the universe, that you are not just some God that, spun the universe into motion and then just left for it to do its thing, but you are invested into your creation. You're invested into our lives. You are in this room right now. And I thank you that right now we can talk to you, but we can also open up your word, which is you talking to us. And so as we get into your word and learn about prayer and learn about the possibilities that you can do in our life and how you want to move in our city, in our church, in our family, in our schools, would you help us to be people of prayer, seeking you for revival? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, if you're, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is Seeking God for Revival. Seeking God for Revival. Now, for those of you who know me, I know some of you know my story, but four and a half years ago, um, I packed up my entire life from Dallas, Texas, 
and I moved here to Oklahoma City to join the New Song family. I packed up everything, and I moved up here to start New Song students, um, and there's actually a handful of people in this room who were there at the very, very beginning, and it's by the sheer grace of God that you are still here today, because, man, God has taken, man, when I think about where we started in a living room with just me, I, I sang worship, y'all. I've led worship on a guitar. It was not pretty. But you're here today, and man, God has done so much in the last four years. But when I first moved up here four and a half years ago and started my, my new life as a youth pastor working at New Song, I was actually finishing an online bachelor's degree. I'm, I'm still technically finishing it right now. <laughs> kind of, we just kind of took a hiatus that's still going on right now. So, but you know what? A degree is just a sheet of paper. So. A degree is just a sheet of paper. Somebody say amen to that. But I'm just kidding. Go to college, y'all. Go to college. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. Don't, 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 don't tell you what to do. So anyway, we're still, we're still working on my degree. That's okay. But I went to a Bible school. I went to a seminary called the King's University at Gateway. And during my time going to this school, I was pursuing a, a degree in biblical counseling. So youth pastor was not part of the plan. I wanted to be a Christian counselor, and I didn't realize it until I got the call to move up here, but I was actually using that degree to totally run from the call of God on my life. Because for those of you who know my story, uh, I grew up being deathly afraid of public speaking. Anybody in the house don't like public speaking? Come on, be honest. It's okay. I was there. I grew up being deathly afraid of public speaking. I would avoid, I would avoid any sort of speaking in public or class presentations or even like talking in front of my small group in high school growing up. It took a lot in me just to do that. So I hated talking in front of people so much. And um like, I remember being in college and having, like, just to do a five-minute presentation in college, and I would be dreading that five minutes for weeks. Anybody who doesn't like public speaking know that feeling? You've got it coming up, and you just think about it every day. Man, that was me in college. I hated to speak in front of people, and I would have that feeling where, you know, the day finally comes where my speech is my speech day, and I wake up with this just heavy pit in my stomach, and like, I just don't want to eat any food and it's just so uncomfortable. And then it gets, my time has arrived and I go up and I'm sweating and I'm probably blushing and I, I do my speech and the second I'm done, just this massive weight comes off my shoulders and I'm like, goodness gracious, thank you, Lord, that that's over with. Don't have to do that for another couple months or so. And I would be so excited to be done with this speech uh, and this would happen Almost every single time without fail when I was going to the King's University, I would finish a speech and my professors and my fellow students would say things like this at the end of my speech. They would say, Jackson, that was amazing. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. And they're like, Jackson, you've got a gift, bro. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and they were like, no, they're like, no, no, for real, Jackson, like, you're, you're going to preach one day. 
Jackson, you got a gift. I think you need to start writing messages because you're going to be a pastor one day. And can I just tell you, you know what's more annoying than having to do something you don't want to do? People telling you that you're really good at doing something you don't want to do. That is a really terrible feeling when you're like, no, I don't want to be good at this. And they're like, you're, you're going to do that. That was me. I hated public speaking. You see, my plan for my life was I was going to, you know, graduate, and I was going to help people. I was going to serve the kingdom, but it was going to be on my terms. So I wanted to be a Christian counselor because, like, you don't got to talk in front of people when you're a counselor. You get to do one-on-ones. And I was like, man, that's how I want to help people. But God had his way. That's all I got to say because, like, I do this now every single week, and it's still crazy to me to this day. But God is so good, and he brought me to this place where... He gave me the faith. He gave me the steps I needed to take so I could do what I'm doing today. But it didn't start that way. Now, some of y'all are like, hey, didn't you tell us to like turn to Acts 2? Are you going to read Acts 2 yet? I'm getting there, okay? I'm getting there. I share that story because when I moved up here to OKC to start New Song Students to do this big new thing, I was, I'm just being real with you, I was a terrified young man with no idea how to start a youth ministry. I was scared, and all I had was a call from God. I had no idea how to lead a youth ministry, how to start a youth ministry. But my first semester when I moved up here, I was still finishing school. Again, still currently finishing. But I was working on my degree, and I moved up, and there was a class I took the first semester I moved up here called the Book of Acts. Is there any brave soul who wants to guess what that course was about? Man, you guys are so smart. That's right. The entire course was on the book of Acts. And I take this course, and it actually ended up being the perfect season for me to be reading this and studying this. Because one, this ended up becoming my favorite book in the Bible after this course. But two, this is exactly where we find God's people in the start of the church. See, the book of Acts is all about the start of the church. And in a weird way, the way I found myself at the beginning of my journey into ministry is actually really similar to where we find the disciples in the start of the church. Because you see, when I moved up here to OKC, I was in a gap. Somebody say, he was in a gap. I was in a gap between the call of God on my life. So God had given me a call, but I I was in the gap between the call and the move of God. Does that make sense? So like we're experiencing the move of God every week right now, and it's amazing, and I'm super grateful, but I wasn't here yet. I just had the call, and I was in the gap between the call and the move, and I was ready to obey, I was ready to do whatever Jesus had told me to do, but I wasn't there yet. In the same way, when we open up the book of Acts and we start it and we read it, we find the disciples and they are in a gap. They're in a gap between the call of God on their life and the move. It hasn't happened yet. And I want us to read this. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, so just buckle up, get ready with me. But it's all for a purpose because I want you to see how flippin' cool the book of Acts is and how amazing the church is as it starts. So check this out. This is before anything happens in the church. 
Acts 1, look at this. It says, after his death, talking about who? Talking about who? Yes, you're right. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. I wish I was there for that. That would have been pretty dope, seeing the resurrected Jesus in face-to-face meetings. Hello. He talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God as they met and ate meals together. I wonder what they ate together. That's pretty cool. Pizza, maybe? Hall's Pizza Kitchen, probably? I'm just kidding. Definitely not Taco Bell. (laughs) As they ate and met together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father had promised, the promise you heard from me. So at this point in the biblical story, I want you to know the disciples are very stoked because they just got Jesus back. They are super excited because they are chilling with the resurrected Jesus, and they've been following Jesus for three years at this point, and the entire time that they've been following Jesus, they've got all of the Pharisees and the entire Roman Empire looking at them that, and being completely against what Jesus is doing, right? So for a hot minute, when Jesus is crucified on the cross, it looks like it is game over for the disciples. Like everybody's looking at the disciples and they're thinking, yeah, you were wrong. You know what I mean? At this point, when Jesus dies on the cross, it looks like they've just wasted three years of their life following a guy who claimed to be God and then was murdered. Everybody's looking at the disciples thinking, yeah, y'all were wrong. You guys just wasted three years of your life. But what happens? We know the story. Three days later, Jesus shows up. Jesus beats death. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Jesus beats death. He comes back. He's resurrected from the dead. And at this point, the disciples are like, yo, we were right. You ever had that feeling when you were right? They were like, yo, we were right. This is kind of like, imagine this with me. Because this is the ultimate comeback story in all of history. The ultimate comeback underdog story. This is like Imagine, you're really going to have to use your imagination for this, but imagine you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, okay? <laughs> imagine, okay? Imagine you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, and it's a new season, okay? New season, and you start, you start telling all of your buddies, you're like, hey, Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl this year. And under, understandably, all of your friends are like, no. Makes sense. They're like, there's no way. Not a chance they're going to the Super Bowl. But you're like, dude, they're going to the Super Bowl. So fast forward to the end of the season, and sure enough, your Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl. How many of you in that moment would be like, I was right? Would you do that? Okay, now imagine with me. It's the Super Bowl game. Cowboys are in the game. It's the third quarter, and they're down by four touchdowns. How many of you would be like, it looks like game over? It is not looking good for my Cowboys right now in this moment. But by some act of God, sheer act of God, 
in the third quarter, they get four interceptions, they get a safety, and then they win the game in 30 seconds. What would your response be in that moment? You would be like, I was right. Right? You'd be, yeah, praise God. You would be so stoked, right? This is exactly how the disciples are feeling in this moment when Jesus shows up. It was the ultimate comeback. Because remember, for a moment, Jesus died. And he was not resurrected for three days. And it looked like it was game over. In fact, logically, this should have been the end of Christianity. Should have been the end of it. But Jesus shows up in the flesh post-crucifixion. And this is a huge comeback for the disciples. And they're pumped. So in the book of Acts, it starts with them going to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, we are literally so excited you're back. And I've got a question for you, Jesus. When are you going to start establishing your sweet new kingdom? When are you going to go overthrow the Roman government? Hey, Jesus, when are you going to go tell those Pharisees that they were all wrong? And in this moment, Acts 1, Jesus just breaks all of their theology. And he throws them this massive curveball. Look at this. Acts 1 says this. He told them, you don't get to know the time. Thanks, Jesus. You don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you. Somebody say you. Look to your neighbor and say you. When the Holy Spirit comes, listen to me, listen to me. You will be able to be my witness in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. So, I know I'm doing a lot of recap, but I don't want you to get lost in the story. So the disciples, they just got Jesus back, just came back. And they go to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? Because we can't wait to follow you wherever you want to go. We'll do whatever you want us to do. And Jesus, in this moment, says, oh, me? No, I'm going to the Father. You are going to build my kingdom. Are you hearing me? Jesus says, who, me? No, you. And when, the, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are going to establish my kingdom, not me. And in this moment, Jesus leaves them again. Look at this, Acts 9 through 11. Acts 1, 9 through 11. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared into the clouds. He just ghosted them. They... <laughs> They stood there staring into the empty sky. So Jesus just came back, and they're feeling so relieved. They're like, they're like past Jackson after a public speech. They are so relieved to be done and to have Jesus back. And then when they're asking him, hey, when are you going to tell everybody that you're the boss, man, now? When are you going to go tell everybody that you're king of kings and lord of lords? And he tells them, no, 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 that's actually your job, and then leaves them. This is what happens. This is how the church begins. And this is actually kind of how I felt moving to Oklahoma City. You see, I had received this call from Jesus, and I took a step of faith, and I ended up at the start of this new season in my life with nothing but a call from Jesus, and then at times feeling like he just left me, right? This is exactly where the church began. This is how the church started. 
But if we just keep reading a little bit further, that's not how the church stayed. Because something amazing happens in the church. And I'm just going to start shotgunning a lot of scripture to you. So I need you to lean in with me now because we ain't even getting started yet. So this is the part where we're going to read a bunch of passages from the book of Acts where the church just blows up and starts doing crazy, wild things. Something happens in the church, and I want you to catch this. First thing is this, Acts 2, it says this, when the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. So we know this story. We're familiar with this story. This is the first, really the very first initiation of the church because what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them. And all of a sudden, these, this group of believers who are scared out of their mind have no idea how to be a church go from that to being the church. What happens in between that gap? They get the Holy Spirit. Second thing is this. Check this out. Acts 2. We're going to go a little further. Peter said, this is Peter. He gets up. He starts preaching. He says, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the Holy Spirit. He just got the Holy Spirit. I love that. He's like, I just got this Holy Spirit 10 seconds ago. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, the Lord our Master invites. He went on, his, on this vein for a long time, urging them over and over Get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. Woo, Peter's preaching. Okay, but check this out. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word and were baptized and signed up. Peter just got a 3,000-person altar call. They just had a 3,000-person water baptism service. And look at this. They committed themselves to the teachings, the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. So they just had a 3,000-person altar ministry moment, 3,000-person water baptism, and a 3,000-person planted service all in one day. Yes. That's crazy. So this is the start of the church. Look at this. Y'all want some more? Okay. Check this out. We're going to go a little further, Acts 2. It says, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the tempo, temple, not in the tempo, in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day, their numbers grew as God, uh, as God added those who were saved. So the church starts massive. 3,000 people, but then every day, people are getting saved. Every single day, people are joining the family of God. I've got two more for you. Can you hang in with me? This one is cool. This is Peter preaching, and he's preaching the gospel, and the Pharisees, they got hard heads because they still don't like this stuff. And so they take Peter, and they take John, and they, they warn them. They're like, hey, we're going to do something to you if you keep preaching this gospel. And this is what Peter says. It's bad. It's straight bad. He backhands these people. He says, 
It says they called them back, warned them that they were on no account to ever again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John spoke right back. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Ouch. As for us, there's no question. We can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. Time out. You know who just said that? Peter. The same Peter that was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. The same Peter, listen to me, that denied Jesus when a little girl opposed him. Is now looking at a Pharisee in the eyes and saying, you don't tell me what to do. Something happened in Peter, right? Dude, something happened in Peter. This is crazy. I've got one more for you. All right? This is the craziest one. We're going to skip over to Acts 5 now. So church has been going. Crazy stuff's happening. It's wild. It's crazy. And look at this. Through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people. Many wonderful things done. They all met regularly and in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. But even though people admired them a lot, outsiders were weary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master were added right and left, both men and women. This is crazy. Right here. They even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping they would be touched by Peter's shadow. Peter was healing people by walking by them. This is crazy, y'all. People were, they were lining the sick on the street corners, hoping that Peter's shadow would touch them and heal them. This is some wild stuff, right? Now listen to me. This is how the church began. We see a group of disciples who have a call from Jesus and all odds against them. That's all they got, a call from Jesus. And they should have not been able to succeed, literally. The Christian faith should have died when Jesus rose into heaven, but it doesn't. Why? Because they experienced a move of God. And what looked dead, God actually used that. And he said, no, that's actually going to be the start of my church. Because what they experienced is what we would call today revival. Somebody say revival. Revival. And New Song students, I'm just going to be real with you tonight. I did not not come here to start a youth ministry that produces mediocre fruit. I came to see God do revival through us. This is what I want to see. And, and what, we re, we, what we need to recognize is when we look at the way the church started and sometimes the way the church looks today, we need to recognize that there is a gap because sometimes we look asleep compared to the way the church started. When we look at the book of Acts, sometimes we look a little powerless as a church and sometimes we look a little dead compared to the way the church started. But the good news is that this whole series is about minding the gap. So if we recognize that there is a gap between where the church started and sometimes what we look like today, we can actually respond accordingly and do what? Pray. Somebody say pray. Pray. We can pray. There is a gap between how the church started 
and how it's going. The church starts off wild, y'all. Let's just recap what we read. 3,000 people baptized and serving God in one day. People being added to the family of God every single day. People devoting themselves to prayer, to the word of God every single day. Signs and wonders, healings taking place. Like this is how the church started. And I can't help but think, man, when I look at the modern church today, there is a gap. There's a gap between what, we, what happened in Acts and what we see today. But the good news is that all of that stuff is possible today. The moves of God that we see in Acts are possible today. The moves of God that we see in revivals all throughout history are actually possible today, and they're supposed to be normal. Like, listen to me. That's supposed to be our normal. Not like 45 minutes of church and then the rest of the week just doing our own thing. That's not normal. The book of Acts is what's supposed to be our normal. Are you following me? And again, I want you to know as your pastor, my heart is not that we just produce a youth ministry where you show up for an hour and we just produce mediocre fruit in your life. Like I didn't move my entire life here so that we could just hopefully make this place cool and trendy so you might bring your friends. I didn't come so we could start a youth ministry that's the trendiest place in the town. I didn't come to start a youth ministry that maybe you feel some Holy Spirit goosebumps during worship. And I definitely didn't start a youth ministry for you to hopefully follow Jesus after you graduate. No, no, no. I want to see God build his church here at New Song Students. Do you? I want to see God build his church here. I want to see God move here. Do you? I want to see God bring revival here. And the good news is that he can. He really can. I've got a quote, though. And it's from my boy, John Tyson. I've been quoting John Tyson a lot, but he's, he's my dude, okay? And he says this. I love this. He says, we don't have to talk God into wanting to move. He's waiting for us. I want you to know that. We don't have to talk God into wanting to move today like he used to in the book of Acts. He wants to do that. So the question is, what is he waiting for? What is God waiting for from us? Because if we're not seeing a move of God in our church or in our life or in our families or in our school, can I tell you, it's not God's fault. We've got to take a look inside. We've got to say, what is God wanting from me? And here's the good news. God's not looking for you and I to be perfect. He's not waiting for you and I, (coughs) excuse me, he's not waiting for you and I to have a certain number of prayer meetings and then he's going to pour out his spirit? No, no, no. But he is waiting on something, okay? So what is God waiting for? This is the question we have to ask tonight, and I want to answer it really quickly. There's three things I think God is waiting for in order to pour out revival on us. So if you're taking notes, write this down. What is God waiting for? The first thing is this. God is waiting for us to want him. God is waiting for us to want him because the, the, the simple but hard reality in question that we need to ask ourselves is this. We all have to ask this question to ourselves and we have to answer it honestly. Do I really want God or do I want what he can give me? 
do I really want God or do I just want what he can give me? Because if we take an honest look at the modern church and the way that we interact with God, we'll find that we actually don't really want God. I'm just, I'm just going to be real with you tonight. Is that okay? We don't really want God. We want the life he can give us. We don't want to serve God's dream. We want God to serve our dream. God, you, you make my dreams happen. That's how this works. If we're not careful, we can start to view God as this cosmic genie. And I can just ask him the things I want and he'll give them to me. But no, God is Yahweh. God is Yahweh. He's the God with no beginning and no end. Do you have a beginning? Do you have an end? Yes. But we serve a God who has no beginning and no end. I'm telling you, God loves you. And he wants to have, trust me, Jesus came so you could have life abundant. That is a promise. But Jesus did not come to just fulfill your dreams. There's a, there's a quote, and it's spicy. I've been, I've been coming at you with some spicy quotes in the past couple of weeks. But Corey Russell says this. He says, most people view Jesus as the stepladder into their destiny. He wants to kill your destiny. And he wants to resurrect his through you. You are actually going to discover your calling through his calling. And check this out. We actually see this kind of heart in the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. You guys remember this story? <laughs> Lord Jesus, there's something stuck in my throat, but we're going to make it. Matthew chapter 19, rich young ruler, you know the story. He comes to Jesus, and what does he say? He says, Jesus, what are the things I need to do in order to what? Inherit the kingdom of God. How do I have eternal life? Jesus, what do I need to do in order for you to give me what I want? And at the end of their conversation, because of what Jesus asks him to do, we actually find the heart of the rich young ruler because Jesus invites him to do what? Give everything he owns. And in this moment, he walks away. And we recognize something. Because remember, he said, I've been following all the commandments. Do you remember that? But he walks away. So we, we find out what's actually going on in his heart. In that moment, we see that his heart wasn't keeping God's commandments because he loved God. He was keeping God's commandments to get something from God. He didn't care about keeping God's commandments because he loved God. He wanted to do those things to get something from him. And unfortunately, man, we see this in the heart of a lot of believers. And I'm, I will be the first to say, I've been there. I've been there. God, just tell me what I need to do to like, for you to bless me. Pastor, can you just tell me the things I need to do so I can have a blessed life, but not actually want to love God? This is the heart we see in the church today, but what is God looking for? Because I want you, to, I want you guys to know we serve a really patient, a really good, a really loving father, and here's how good he is. He will not force revival on a church that doesn't want it. Do I need to say that again? He will not force revival on a church that doesn't even want it because he's a really good father. So what is he waiting for? He's waiting for us to want him. This is the first thing God is waiting for. The second thing that God is waiting for is this. He's waiting for us to know what he wants. He's waiting for us to know what he wants. 
I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of listening to messages about revival. And I want you guys to know there's like not like a formula that we can like input and then God just like spits out revival. <laughs> it's not like, hey, you do, if your church does step one, two, and three, you're sure to see revival. That's not how it works. <laughs> but if you look at revivals and awakenings and the early church, there are patterns and what you'll see in every single one of these revivals is, well, first off, they want God. Yeah. The people that experience a revival, they want God. They seek God. But the second thing you'll see in almost every single revival, I'm going to say 100% of all revivals, what you'll see is an elevation of the word of God. You'll see people fall more in love to the word of God and lift it higher above anything else in that revival. And in fact, there's a, there's a revival that takes place in 2 Chronicles 34. It's a wild story of revival that happens in the kingdom of Israel when they are in a time of complete rebellion. These people are living like straight heathens, okay? God's children do not look like God's children in this story. They are worshiping every single idol they can find on every single street corner. They are sacrificing their kids to idols, like, it was dark stuff. They were not living from God. This kingdom looked nothing like the kingdom that King David established. But it all changes when a new king comes up, and he, he becomes king at age eight. His, king was, his, his name was King Josiah. So he becomes king at age eight. And when he's 16, the Bible tells us that he starts to do something that none of his fathers, none of his great-grandfathers did, and it's really simple. He just seeks God. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 34.3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek God, seek the God of his father, David. You know what's interesting? David wasn't his father. <laughs> David was like his great, 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 great grandfather. But he was just like, you know what? I'm not looking up to my father. I'm not looking up to my great-grandfathers, the ones who just were idol worshipers and didn't honor God. I'm going to choose who I look up to. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to choose to worship the God of my father, King David. Yeah. And so Josiah starts to seek God. And as he starts to seek God, he starts to get God's heart. He starts to discover what God wants. And he starts to see his whole kingdom with fresh eyes. And he sees all these idols all of these sacrifices taking place, and he sees them for what they really are, evil. And so he starts purging the whole kingdom of all of these idols. And he's like, hey, we got to get this out of here. We got to stop doing these sacrifices. And while they're purging the kingdom, some people that are working from him, they find the book of the law. So I want you to listen to me. They lost the Bible. <laughs> like for hundreds of years, the kingdom of Israel didn't have a single Bible. That's how bad they were. They lost the Bible. And so as they're purging the kingdom, they find the scriptures and they take the Bible to the king and they read it to him. And when he hears God's word, it says he like rips his clothes and his heart is so broken because what does he discover? He discovers we are not wanting what God wants. He's like, we are so far from what God says. And in this moment, God has full right. He, could be, he would be a good God in this moment to judge them, to pour out judgment on them, 
to destroy them because they were living in cursing and not blessing. But just because one man, somebody say one man, because one man sought God and learned what God wanted, God didn't pour judgment on them. He actually sends favor on them. He restores the kingdom and sends revival to their land because one man sought God and believed his word. I'm telling you, it just takes one of us. New Song students, if we will become a student ministry that actually wants God here more than the stuff he can give us, and if we become a student ministry that says, man, I want to know what God wants more than what I want, God can do really big things with that. Amen? Amen. The last thing is this. If we want to see revival, and I want to invite the band to come up. If you're taking notes, write this down. The last thing God is waiting for from us is us to trust that he can do it through us. God is waiting for us to have faith. He's waiting for us to trust that we actually serve a God who can do the impossible. God is waiting for you and I to believe that he actually is a God who could have 3,000 people here baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit in one day. He's waiting for us to believe that he actually is a God who can heal people through another person's shadow. The problem is sometimes we don't pray prayers like that. We don't pray prayers that see dead things and see the potential for God to move. We just pray prayers in a way that just sees the dead things. But God wants us to pray prayers that believe he can move in the same way he moved in the book of Acts. Are you following me? I want to give you a visual representation of this. I heard a pastor preach about this. Blew my mind. It's been, it's been ingrained in my mind about the way we can view the dead areas in our life, the dead areas in our families. Maybe you look at your school and you just see a bunch of terrible kids and you're like, man, they are too far gone. I want you to know that's not what God sees. And if we will start to be a people who prays like God can actually do it, we'll see him do some crazy things. So check this out. This right here, do we have that photo, Kason? The first one of the desert. Nope, sorry. Right here, this is, it's called the Atacama Desert. It's in Chile, okay? This is the driest place on planet Earth. I heard that they actually like throw the Mars like rovers there and that's where they test them at the Atacama Desert because it's so dry. Now in this, in this place, obviously it looks dead, looks like there's no potential, nothing could happen there. But what you can't see from this picture is that under all of that dirt, under all of that dry sand and deadness are millions and millions and millions of wild flower seeds. And every five or so years, the Atacama Desert will get like a, a year's worth of rain in a single day. And what happens when, when that happens is you get this thing called a super bloom. And this is what that same desert looks like after a super bloom. Do you see that? Now go back to the first picture. That's what it looked like before. Sometimes this is how we see our schools. This is sometimes how we see people who aren't following Jesus. This is sometimes how we see God moving in our church. It's just nothing happening. But that's not what God sees. We need to be praying because God has a super bloom for us, for our schools, for our church, for our family. Can we go to the next photo? This is the same desert. 
I'm telling you guys, this is revival. And this is the God that we serve. He can do that here. He can do that in your schools. He can do that in your family. Will you pray like that? Will you mind the gap? When you see a desert, will you just see a desert or will you see the super bloom on the other side of God's move? This is what God wants to do in us, but he's just waiting for us. He's waiting for us to say, will you pray like that? Will you ask me to do that? Amen? I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes.